This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 4th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Jane Jacobs believed that cities should be human scale. Her book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities, delivered a dynamic, bottom-up vision for how cities can thrive. For today, what would have been Jane Jacobs' 100th birthday, I speak with Emily Washington, a blogger at MarketUrbanism.com and a policy research manager at the Mercatus Center. As we mark Jane Jacobs' uh, 100th birthday, I spoke with a, a gentleman a while back who wrote about zoning and uh, viewed Jane Jacobs as his uh, something like an intellectual goddess to him that she had uh, written so powerfully uh, and uh, carefully about issues relating to cities and how they thrive. And the only thing of hers that I ever read or paid any attention to was in an urban economics class, I read uh, Death and Life of Great American Cities. So if you wouldn't mind, detail what is the, what is the big thrust uh, of that book? Sure. That's certainly her most famous book um, that's been an inspiration to people across the political spectrum and certainly very influential within the urban planning field. In the book, her key insight is that uh, walkable neighborhoods have four key drivers of diversity. They have a mix of uses, so both uh, residential as well as commercial and office development. They have small blocks that she calls uh, human scale, so people can uh, easily see where they're headed and have a perspective of how far they have to walk between destinations. They have a diverse age of buildings, which results in diverse rental rates so that startups can afford to thrive in neighborhoods with more established businesses. And lastly, they have a high density of both people and buildings. I hear that word uh, density, and I um, think of the sort of the modern urban planner's desire for greater density. But of course, density brings its own uh, problems with it today. But I, I guess more broadly, what what did the modern urban planner take to be the lessons of Jane Jacobs? Urban planners have focused a lot on her specific observations about the neighborhoods where she lived and worked. So she spent much of her life in Greenwich Village, and that was perhaps the inspiration for Death and Life. But uh, her, she also had key insights about planning and the importance of relying on what she called locality knowledge to drive development, um, whereas urban planners who are focused on smart growth or even new urbanism tend to be enthusiastic about top-down plans. Jane Jacobs saw cities as an emergent order and had a very Hayekian approach to urban development. So I think she'd be very critical of um, efforts to create density from the top down. It might surprise um, new urbanists, urban planners more broadly to hear that libertarians have such a high regard for Jane Jacobs and, and the things that uh, she wrote about. But as you say, she viewed this through a, a lens of uh, partiality. That is, things happen slowly, they develop, there's different groups uh, should be able to come together. And she uh, focused on what the rules are, like what are the rules that govern how these kinds of things can and can't emerge. That's right. Yeah. She didn't consider herself a libertarian and certainly saw a role for 
city governments in creating the environment where this type of urban development can take place. But she was very opposed to uh, mega projects that were city-led or um, um, large-scale infrastructure that would interrupt the emergent order of neighborhoods. And on that note, Robert Moses, she had, Robert Moses was was a city planner in New York City and had a very famous fight with Jane Jacobs that went on for a long time. What was that about? Yeah, Robert Moses wore a lot of hats in New York City and state government, um, but both Jane Jacobs and he um, came to a high public prominence during their battle over the Lower Manhattan Expressway that Moses wanted to build through the famous Washington Square Park. And Jane Jacobs loved the park as a ideal meeting place and um, breath of fresh air within the Greenwich Village neighborhood and led the political fight against the expressway. And she went on to battle uh, Moses over various iterations of the proposal for several years. So what was what was the result? Uh, she won the battle, and while uh, Moses left a lasting impression with many highways in New York City, that one never came to pass. Why did Jane Jacobs care about a diversity of the ages of buildings in neighborhoods? A lot of people have taken her writing on that topic to indicate that she's in favor of historic preservation to maintain old buildings in a neighborhood that's experiencing new construction. But she makes it clear that what she's really advocating for is buildings of diverse ages that will in turn have different rental rates and allow for different types of uses and the diversity that brings people um, to a neighborhood um, for various different purposes. Um, And so that diversity requires um, an organic process of new building that will result in buildings of different ages naturally, whereas historic preservation will lead to buildings of one age. Um, And in the case of New York City, uh, historic districts tend to have uniformly high rents, so they don't have the type of diversity she was looking for. She seemed very interested in the idea of of cities being designed for humans, which should seem obvious, but I think when when you get that top-down style of these massive billion-dollar projects to redevelop many, many, many blocks, that that gets lost. She was very critical of Le Corbusier and his vision of high-rise towers surrounded by greenery that, from a planner's perspective, might look like a great and efficient way to house a lot of people while also giving them access to the outside. But in reality, these towers in the park designs resulted in a very sterile um, and uninviting landscape, whereas um, bottom-up development that's not designed with such a grand vision will actually be more likely to um, be at that human scale that she advocated for. For people who are interested in the topic of how cities grow and develop and emerge, and we all have sort of an idea of what we want out of uh, cities, what is the, what are the big lessons that you think listeners of this podcast are uh, typically libertarian? What are the big lessons that they ought to take from the work of Jane Jacobs? The big lesson is that these beloved neighborhoods that have the characteristics of diversity that Jacobs um, so admired, 
didn't come from top-down plans. They uh, came from individual people pursuing their own plans for businesses and residences in the neighborhood and efforts to replicate these neighborhoods through large-scale planning efforts are likely to fail because they won't rely on the locality knowledge um, and won't ultimately result in the type of diversity that can only come from people pursuing their own plans. Emily Washington is a blogger at MarketUrbanism.com and a policy research manager at the Mercatus Center. This month marks 10 years of the Cato Daily Podcast. Subscribe and share at cato.org slash podcast.